Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia, and uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Well, you know, as much as it's happy right now, but yeah. I should say New Year and leave the designation of happy kind of. Yeah, have you already seen the memes? Um, you know, it's five days in and, you know, there's like characters who are drinking. <laughs> 2022 cannot get here fast enough. Right. I- I tell you, so for audiences who wonder, we record a week ahead. So we're recording on the 8th for a release on the uh, next week on the 17th, 16th, 17th, whatever the week is from now. And, um, uh, and, and our topic today will be relevant at that time. So it's good. Um, but also, I, on the 2nd, I think of January, so like last week, I saw a meme that had 2020 and it had written by Stephen King, directed by Quentin Tarantino. Yes. <laughs> and then it had and then it had 2021 and it had we don't know what else to say about how bad this could get. <laughs> like it was like, you know, we've already thought we were at the worst part of it and we're still not. But in good yeah. news, we're seeing vaccines reach arms. Um, and we're seeing some interesting things go on in the world that are that are good news uh, unfortunately also this week we are we we witnessed the attack on the capitol yes yeah. Yeah. i was going to say insurrection i know that there's a question about whether it's defined as a coup an insurrection or something else and i know that those are technical political science terms and you and i can talk about them sometime and what each one means whatever you call it that was inappropriate and from Augie and I, we would just like to say the whole point of this was the whole point of this this podcast is that you can do this in a civil way. You don't have to pick up rocks and throw them. You don't have to break glass and bones and shoot people and whatever to get your point across. You can yeah. do it civilly and and still there there should be a public space where people with different viewpoints can come together and talk um, and have a sense of understanding of what the other person or persons, uh, what they think, what they believe. Um, And it's, again, almost impossible to find common ground when your form of communication, okay, is climbing over a fence or a wall and breaking into a government building where they are doing constitutional and legal work required of the legislative branch, um, forcing law enforcement to respond to where people are injured. And in this case, uh, 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 one of the you know, no matter how you refer to them, rioters, insurrectionists, okay, coup attempters, one of them died. And as we found out uh, uh, late yesterday, uh, one of the law enforcement officers suffered injuries that eventually led to their death. That's not, that's not what we're attempting with this podcast, okay? Because this podcast believes that there should be public spaces where we can have civil, meaningful discourse where you can disagree. I mean, for those of you who listen to this podcast, you know quite well that me and I don't always agree, okay? But Uh, I've I've never once uh, had the urge to strike you in the head with something. Um, And I I don't think that that's a reasonable way to, to, I don't think, I also don't think it wins your argument. I think that violence almost never wins your argument. You might beat me into submission, but that doesn't mean you won. And so you have to be awfully careful about engaging in that kind of yes, um, that kind and, of physical action. And, it, um, and as we spoke before we began recording today, um, even with our disagreements, even though, for instance, 
okay? I would annoy Nia by saying, yes, scholars will go ahead and debate as to what happened on Wednesday, whether or not it was an insurrection or a coup, okay? Uh, we both look forward uh, to every Friday morning recording. Uh, why? Uh, because again, we've created a space and uh, we hope uh, that it models for others uh, a desire to create such spaces. Um, they have that in ancient Greece where you Yes, where they had like a town square and you could just basically go there and stand up on a on a big stone and yes. sort of yell your opinion <laughs> and then other people could come and yell back and yeah. yes right which is a good thing all right like I, I think that's a I think the problem is that people allow their emotions to get they get beyond themselves and then they start doing things physically that um are deleterious both to democracy and to themselves. Eventually, I, I noticed that um, several reports today of people losing their jobs because they had been filmed being part of whatever you want to call this thing. And yes, we're going to eventually figure out what the name of it was. Um, although scholars will probably write books about that for years to come. Uh, so one could argue that one of the positives of President Trump's presidency has been the sheer amount of scholarship that will come out of it. Yes. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I mean he's a he's a whole different. His zebra stripes are all purple. Like he's a completely different animal, and that's gonna that's gonna cause political science to have to have a reckoning with itself about what that means and what what that means going forward and what brought about all that. Like, what's the milieu that brought all that about? So, so kudos to him for giving us something to talk about for years to come. Uh, and, and, and it's a nice segue uh, to uh, today's um, podcast uh, uh, subject, and that is presidential inaugurations. Yes. Okay. So on the LibGuide, we have uh, we will have for you some general information. I did not know that there was a joint congressional committee on the inaugural ceremony. Um, and I'm imagining people are just fighting to be on that committee. No, not really. Um, um, in, in many ways, it, it is an assignment um, uh, that most members of Congress uh, uh, try to uh, provide excuses to avoid. I mean, because in, in many ways... Oh, I'd love to do that, but I've got someplace to be on January 20th. I'm having a tooth removed. And so I, yeah, root canal. Sorry, man. Can't, can't help you. I mean, because in many ways, the, the activities of the inauguration are directed by the incoming presidential, if you will, team. Okay. Yes, uh -oh. I think I used the word bridezilla <laughs> yeah, okay. to describe that. Um, uh, I asked you about that this morning before we started recording. They they yeah. seem to be slightly bridezilla-ish in how they want things to go or they want things to appear. And in fairness to them, the maximum times you're going to have an inauguration is twice. Yes. Right. So you're this is not going to be a thing that you get to redo if you didn't like it. Yeah. Right. Okay. And while you can say many years later, we had the biggest crowds or we had the wildest party or we had the best bands or we had whatever. There's not much. You don't get a do over. You don't get a do over. And in many ways, there are people who have to be there. And there are events that have to occur, okay, because it is, okay, symbolic politics, right? It, it, I mean, in many ways, the, if you conceive of the inauguration, it is the official transfer of power of one presidential administration to the other. But in regards to its constitutional or legal, if you will, importance, okay, um, as I uh, uh, jokingly referenced um, in the notes that Nia and I share beforehand, um, presidential inauguration uh, uh, could be as simple as a president taking the required oath in the basement of the White House, okay, with no cameras, okay? Uh, it doesn't even have to be the chief justice 
who administers the oath. Right, because Lyndon Johnson did it with she was not a chief justice. She was a justice, but she was like a Texas. She was a federal district judge. A federal district judge. Okay. And he did it on the plane on the way to Washington, DC. Okay, after Kennedy was assassinated. Right. Okay. So I mean, so there doesn't have to be some sort of like parade okay in well in the big East. the big stand in front of the you know in front of the con like you know how they have the big yes. steps in the stand with all the chairs and all the foo and wah they don't have to have all that but because but the president does have to take the oath right that's the one thing that is required yes the is president that they have to take the they have to make the promise yeah yeah they have to make the promise okay but i mean the, otherwise it is political symbolism and of course, political symbolism, as we know in other contexts, gets all kinds of crazy and weird and strange because people have certain expectations. So if you think about the incoming presidential administration, there are a whole bunch of people who helped Joe Biden become president. They may have given money. They may have been, you know, campaigned for him. Okay. Uh, they may have done wor uh, work behind the scenes, and they all want to be able to participate in the inauguration, okay? They want good seats at the inauguration. They want a good table at one of the, you know, inauguration evening, you know, gala events and dances, right? So you got to reward those folks. So if you're a member of, of Congress, and you're on the Joint Congressional Committee on Inaugural Ceremonies, you're talking about a lot of people who have a lot of requests, and you're just kind of sort of like, oh, man, okay, can, is there any way for me to get out of this, right? <laughs> can I, I, I know we often reference the West Wing, and I'm going to do it again right now, real quick. Yes. There's, they're, they're doing the breakfast, they're, they're setting up the breakfast, and they have to figure out who sits next to who and that's the whip and the this and the that and the whatever and they get it all set up and and they show it to one of the other characters and he looks at it and he says you're missing someone and they and they're like who and he says wait for it and they're all looking and then the person who's doing it who the the press secretary who's setting it up says okay we left off the president so now we have to restart <laughs> right like right like it because you get so caught up in the details of who of who needs to sit next to whom and how close are they and how far away are they like if you gave $150,000 which you can't do but if you gave a huge amount of money to a, a, a campaign you don't want to be sitting at the table next to the kitchen no right. like that's a big thing you want to be sitting closer to the candidate or now president closer yeah, to you, the now president and first lady you expect that as a a reward a reward right because yeah, politics is partially i mean it, it, about it, it, reward and, and think about this too nia okay we're talking about a transfer of power right and as plenty of people have said in the press we've even joked about it before the holiday Okay, the transfer of power from the current president, Donald Trump, to the incoming president, Joe Biden, has not gone as smoothly as we've seen in the past. <laughs> okay. Pshaw, I say. Okay. Maybe, you know, the first, if you will, broad understatement uttered by Augie uh, this year. year. Okay. But, With many more to come, probably. But, but yeah, yeah, many more to come, right? <laughs> okay. But... There is no requirement that the outgoing president has to stay around. Okay. I, mean, I was going to ask you about that. So, um, so I know that in, at least in my lifetime, Nixon did not attend Ford's inauguration for what I would consider to be obvious and apparent reasons. Yes. Right? He, he had, had just had, resigned. Yeah. yeah he had and resigned. so he sort of, took the plane back to California. And rather infamously, you know, there's, you can actually look this up. There are plenty of, you know, uh, 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 press uh, tapes, 
you know, watching the plane leave Washington, D.C. Right, because that's where he turned around and did the V sign. Yes. Before he got on the plane. Wasn't that the, the yes. moment? Yeah. Yes. So that's like one of those things that plays about Richard Nixon. And it's also one of the things that comedians use to, to give you an idea of who they're talking about. That's right. But, but so he didn't stay. And I can kind of understand that would have been uncomfortable for everybody in the room. Right. If he oh, had sure. stayed while I mean, that was happening. I mean, you know, the, 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 the nation was in shock because a current president had to resign, okay? Because he had contributed, had participated in a cover-up, okay, of an illegal act, okay? But there are other examples of where outgoing presidents so disliked their successors <laughs> that they did not attend the inauguration. Okay, so who? Gossip, okay. tell me who. Okay, John Adams. Okay, lost the presidential election of 1800 to Thomas Jefferson, and John Adams and Thomas Jefferson so did not like each other. Okay, Adams left town, okay, according to historians, at least 24 hours before the inauguration. Just left town. Just left town. So there was technically no president. <laughs> Well, I mean, I guess you're the president no president, matter where you, you know, are. You know, the, the next one, you know, uh, 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 swears I mean, if, if Donald Trump went to Mar-a-Lago tomorrow, he would still be the president. Yes. Until yes. 12.01 on January 20th. I think it happens at noon. I think the ceremony yeah, happens it, at noon. Yeah, uh, that's, when it's supposed to, that, that's when it's supposed to, by law, um, uh, the... the uh, the president is supposed to go ahead and swear the oath. So By wherever way, you are, so wherever Adams was, he was still president. He was just more, more or less out of town, incommunicado, because <laughs> back then he could have been on a horse somewhere. Oh yeah, in the middle right. of Pennsylvania, like he could have been anywhere. Yeah, right. I mean, he was okay. You gotta hate somebody a lot if <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, right. He was, you know, literally out of town. <laughs> Okay. Wait, His, but didn't uh, at the end though, didn't when he died, didn't he say, but Jefferson lives? Yeah. I mean, they, they actually began to correspond, uh, uh, write letters with one another after Jefferson was no longer president. Okay. Yeah, they, so they reconciled eventually. Yeah, they reconciled. Yeah. Which, you know, must have made him feel even worse because <laughs> then he could have, he's like, oh man, sorry about the inauguration thing. Yeah, you know, hate, hated to steal your thunder, but sorry, dude, I couldn't stand you then, right? <laughs> Adam's son, John Quincy, also became president um, and uh, became president in 1824 in one of the more controversial, if you think the vote counting in 2020 and 2016 and 2000 was controversial, Okay, the 1824 presidential election actually went to Congress, okay, because no presidential candidate received a majority of the Electoral College votes. And rather controversially, John Quincy Adams was chosen by the House of Representatives to be the next president. Well, one of the losers, Andrew Jackson, basically spent four years disparaging John Quincy Adams. <laughs> Okay. Andrew Jackson, who became president. In 1828. Okay. Okay. And Quincy Adams, okay, John Quincy Adams, who ran for re-election, lost. Okay. But because of the animosity between he and Andrew Jackson, John Quincy Adams did not attend Jackson's inauguration. <laughs> like father, like son. <laughs> well, I so, mean by the way. By the way, we will come back to the Andrew Jackson 1828 inauguration because it's also noted uh, for the brawl that broke out in the White House, okay, after um, uh, uh, Jackson uh, took his oath. Wait, an actual, okay, wait, no, no, no. I don't, I'm not going to get ahead because I want to know what you mean by brawl, but we'll come back to that. Yeah, so. Okay. So we actually have two more examples that historians have noted where outgoing presidents did not attend the inauguration of their successor. The next one is Andrew Jackson, or Johnson, excuse me, Andrew Johnson in 1869. 
Johnson ran for re-election against uh, Ulysses S. Grant, the well-known Union general. Uh, With a fabulous the- beard. Oh, yeah, yeah, a great beard, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Legendary. Pictures of it, it's legendary. Yeah. Yes. And by the way, according to many presidential scholars, probably wrote the best uh, post-presidential memoir of all the presidential memoirs that have been written. Oh, okay. Yeah. So well, he, I mean, he was a general in the Civil War and yeah, he wrote and he, he'd yeah. gone to West Point. Like he, he would have a lot of cool things to say. Okay. So yes. And, and oh, by the way, um, uh, if you think um, uh, the current practice of former presidents writing memoirs, for huge sums of money is unseemly. Grant did it just for that reason. For the money? For the money. Was he broke when he got out of being the president? Yes, he was broke. Um, And he had already been given a terminal diagnosis of, I can't remember what type of cancer, but anyways, uh, his good friend, Mark Twain, uh, arranged for him to get a significant amount of money to write his memoirs, and he was writing them uh, up to the week in which he died. Yes. Wow. So was that to provide for his family? Yes, to provide for his family. Okay. So Johnson, okay, was so upset that he didn't win re-election, and he so disliked Grant because Johnson was from Tennessee and was actually a Confederate sympathizer. Uh, For those of you who don't know, Lincoln picked Johnson to be his vice president in the, what was it, 1864 presidential election, because he thought that it would help um, unite a divided country. Well, Johnson was so upset about losing the election, he actually held a cabinet meeting during Grant's inauguration. Not only did he not go, but none of his his cabinet members could go. Wow. (laughs) Or, or a la, a la the kind of thing that a narcissistic president would do. He made them choose. Sure. Yes. Which is awful, right? Because for politicians, I mean, those choices go on record and people, at least at the time, remember, we don't remember now. That's what I think is awesome about politics is everybody thinks this is going to be life altering. And I'm like, yeah, tell it to Andrew Johnson, right? Like, yeah. it's not life altering in the sense of we don't remember a lot of those people's names, but it did, I'm sure at the time, put them in a terrible pickle. Do I support the new president or do I support the outgoing president and potentially trash my career? Yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's a horrible place to put people in, isn't it? I mean, and, and also think about it at that time. I mean, you're talking about Reconstruction, where the emotions of the Civil War oh, yeah. were, were still extremely fresh. And there were elements of both political parties, Republican and Democratic. Okay, I mean, there was an element of the Republican Party known as the Radical Republicans. They wanted former members of the Confederacy to be punished, right? You had elements of the Democratic Party who were like, we don't want to be part of the union and we don't care if there are members of the opposition party who reach out to us and try to bring us back into the governance of the country. And Johnson made it worse because he was basically telling his cabinet members, many of whom had been picked by Lincoln before Lincoln was assassinated, you can't be there to go ahead and usher in the next presidential administration. Oh yeah, that was a crap thing to do. Okay, that was just terrible, right? Yeah, not cool. Okay, the uh, fourth out of five, uh, uh, and for uh, listeners, Nina's already mentioned uh, the last time where an outgoing president did not attend the inauguration. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to punch you. No, no, that's right, but... (laughs) Uh, the, the fourth one was Woodrow Wilson uh, in 1921, uh, who could not attend Warren Harding's inauguration because of ill health. Um, and we spoke about this in a previous podcast episode, but uh, uh, Woodrow Wilson, uh, roughly for what uh, the last two and a half years of his second term as president, 
uh, was incapacitated because of a stroke, uh, because of a heart attack, okay? Uh, we talked about it previously in regards to uh, the 25th Amendment um, and the fact that the 25th Amendment had not yet been ratified at that time. Um, Woodrow Wilson's wife, according to historians, basically ran the White House for the last roughly two and a half years of his second term in office. Right. That's, One could argue that we've already had the first female first, president. Yes. Yeah. There are historians who have made that claim. Um, yeah. And by uh, the way, a, it's a controversial claim, by the way, it's not it's not like that's a done deal or anything. No, but, but it's something to consider because Edith, right? Edith. Yes. Yes. Edith Wilson. Yeah. She's a strong willed woman who was not willing to tell people that he was that ill. And I think a lot of people didn't know he was that ill for quite a while. Many, yeah. Many members of his cabinet did not know. Members of Congress were not informed of this uh, or did not become aware of this until the election in 1920 okay so it was uh, like the earliest form of ghosting sure um i and mean he just it, sort of disappeared and people didn't know why and yeah i mean and, and and let's face it i mean the congress at that time at least the united states senate was controlled by the republican party um and the republican party was not all that keen on woodrow wilson anyways particularly because wilson um uh in the treaty of versailles wanted the United States to uh, enter into the League of Nations um, and the United States Senate uh, rejected the Treaty of Versailles in large part because of that requirement. Yeah. So, well, and, but it's, it's weird to me, and we talked about it then, and so I don't wanna go into it very far now, that we didn't have a plan. Like no. for what happens when we knew exactly what happens when somebody dies. Okay, well then you go to the next person in line. But, but, not even, but as we discussed in that podcast episode, Nia, remember well into the 1840s, it was assumed by members of Congress that if a president died, the vice president would be acting president, acting, right. okay? Meaning he was not the permanent president until the next presidential election. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so that's kind of bonkers that, yes. that one could think that in, in, in living memory of humans that are still alive, that has altered to the point now when that's because of Kennedy, right? That's altered to the point now of what do you do if someone's incapacitated? Because at first, President Kennedy did not die. He didn't die in the car. He died at the hospital. Yes. So what would have happened if he had not died? If he had, if his physical person had continued, even though he had massive brain damage. So, and then I'm sorry I poached you on the last one, but I I also find Nixon to be such a fascinating character in my life because I was very young, yes. and I don't remember it except that I think I remember seeing that plane on TV, and I I don't know if that's true or not because I would have been like five four or five so i might remember was that 73 no that was 74 yeah it was 74, 74. okay yeah. so i was seven yeah. so maybe i do remember that well i mean it's possible it's funny to me because i remember watching the watergate uh hearings congressional oh. hearings with my mom okay and 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 i recall vividly my mom yelling at the tv Right, okay. Mrs. Augenbach. Way okay. to be, way to be fussing at the TV. Well, I mean, it, 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 and my mom was a, a huge JF, JFK uh, supporter, uh, ah. President Kennedy supporter. Um, so one of her earliest political memories was the uh, 1960 presidential election, the loser of which was Richard, Richard Nixon. Nixon. Right. Okay. So for oh, you know so a, much. Okay, for Richard Nixon was there for a huge amount of our of our modern political history. Oh yeah, I mean he 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 was a member of Congress uh, uh, when the Cold War started. He was Eisenhower's vice president. Right. Okay, um, and you know, and not for nothing, Eisenhower wasn't a big fan of Nixon, but Eisenhower was told to pick Nixon to shore up his support among. Um, uh, uh, those Republicans who were hawkish 
about the Cold War, right? right. Um, and then you get sort of he's then he's kind of Kennedy's nemesis. Yes. Then he's Johnson's nemesis. Uh, a little bit. Okay. He ran against Johnson in uh, 1968. But what a lot of folks don't remember was Nixon went back to California after he lost the 1960 presidential election and lost the governor's race in California in 1962. He yeah, lost... he took a, beat, a bit of a beating. Yes, okay. But then he remarshaled himself and kind of... Oh, yeah, he resurrected his political career, right? Uh, he became the kinder, gentler version of Barry Goldwater, who got slaughtered by Johnson in the 1964 presidential election, right? Okay. So he resurrects his political career, wins the presidency in 1968 when the country was burning, right? Right. I mean, this was the summer, you know, summer of, of 1968, where there were riots in a whole bunch of cities in the United States, you know, partially because of race, partially because of opposition to the Vietnam War, okay? You had the infamous uh, Democratic National Convention in Chicago in the summer of 1968, where you had a Democratic mayor, Mayor Daley of Chicago, who turned his police force on protesters at the convention. And Nixon wins the election, okay? Promises to get the country out of the Vietnam War, but in private, okay, actually intensified the Vietnam War, okay? But he also, re, you know, uh, you know, detente began with Nixon. Right. You know, he reached out well, to China. He reached out to the Soviet Union, right? The EPA and the Clean Water and Clean Air Act. So there's a lot of he a lot of that Earth Day. Well, the yeah, first Earth Day was in his presidency. Like there's a, a lot of welfare programs. Okay, I mean the the, the guy is just fascinating on so many levels. Right? But it but it 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 was in, it would have been inappropriate for him to attend the inauguration. Yeah, yeah. it just would have been yes. hard for everybody in the room. But I want to go back to the brawl. <laughs> do you mean an actual physical like what you see in the movies where people in a bar throw a punch and then all of a sudden everybody in the bar is throwing punches and they're all yelling at each other yeah in furniture like gets, that kind of brawl yes exactly and furniture gets destroyed etc okay yeah. so when andrew jackson uh is inaugurated in 1829 it had become accepted practice that at uh, the day of uh, presidential inaugurations, uh, the White House would have would be open to the public. <gasps> Andrew Jackson had a big block of cheese. Yes. Okay. Sorry. It's yeah, a, sorry. It's a West Wing reference, but but it's a it, sort of a mystical. His house was open to the people. Yes. Okay. And 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 that had been the practice that got established early on in our country's history. Okay. Other new presidents, when they got inaugurated, opened the White House to the public for an open house. Y'all come on over. We're going to have some more d'oeuvres. Okay, this, you know, this is the, you know, the house of the people, right? It's the house of the people, right? Okay. Well, at this particular <laughs> inauguration, okay, historians estimate that over 20,000, okay, people attended Johnson's inauguration ceremony, and then they went to the White House. 20,000 people. People, 20,000, okay? And many of them, okay, had traveled to Washington, D.C., okay, from what was then considered the West, okay? States like Kentucky, Tennessee, okay? They had traveled a long time because remember, Andrew Jackson, according to many scholars, was probably the country's first and perhaps only truly populist president. He ran against the, if you will, Washington elites, okay? He ran against the system. So many of his supporters were, shall we say, okay, uh, salt of the earth, rough hewn, hewn people, right? Okay. And they started drinking early in the day and they continued to drink. So by the time the White House was opened, 
okay? They had had hours of adult beverage consumption in their system, okay? And they proceeded to go ahead and get into fistfights, and they broke furniture. At one point, according to many historians' accounts that I've read, the new, newly elected, the newly sworn in president, Jackson, had to be, if you will, uh, had to leave through a side door of the White House to escape the brawl that was occurring within the White House. Wow. Yes. Okay. By the way, this was the same inauguration where later on in the evening at uh, one of the inaugural balls, seven, several of the cabinet members' wives, okay, shunned the wife of another cabinet, cabinet member. Um, and uh, some of you uh, may know of this. This is referred to as the petticoat affair. Okay. Now, we don't have enough time to go into it today, but I mean, if you think about, you know, juvenile behavior in high school, yes, okay? It's the same kind of juvenile behavior among, you know, elite, if you will, significant others of cabinet members, right? That sounds like a future podcast episode. So yes, right? Um, but, you know, it's funny to me that there, there were already gala parties, there were already like i think of that as a weird i don't know why i thought of that as modern because it makes sense people have always wanted to dance to celebrate right that's part of yes i think that's part of just humans we just we like to dance and celebrate and flail ourselves around to music and well but, but also but also remember too nia we've discussed at length how hard it is to run for and be chosen as president oh I'm sure that you're both exhausted and elated. It's like that weird, you know, that weird thing that happens to you at about 3.30 in the morning where everything is funny because you're so tired yes. that you can't, you know, and if anybody wants any real work out of you, that's not the time they're going to get it. That, I imagine that that's how you feel. You feel that both weird I'm so tired yet I'm so wired because yes. I won and I'm and I'm about to, to be the guy. And also your anxiety level has to be through the roof. Yeah, Once you, you know, take that oath, if you take it in any way seriously. Oh, yeah. That's a huge thing that you just committed to. I'm going to protect the Constitution and the American people. Like, I'm going to what? Wait, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> can, can I think about that for a minute? You know, like you don't, you don't get to, and you don't get to change the oath to something like, I'm going to more or less do that as often as I can. Like, you know, that's not, I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean. But I think it's funny that, that, that they broke stuff and that there was a. Yeah. Right. And and, and by the way, I mean, I I don't, I can. I don't want to imagine imagine what's going to happen on January 20th this year, simply because again, as you pointed out, Nia, with the current presidential administration, so many, if you will, norms, so much accepted wisdom um, has been trashed, okay? So, you know, I don't know, okay? I, I can't even fathom a guess, okay? Oh, you um, know that the White House, like the the sort of permanent staff yeah. that work in the White House, the yeah. civil servants, are strategically planning what pieces they need to hide? Yes in order for there to not be, if there is destruction, yeah. although people aren't going to destroy the White House. I have I have a certain amount of faith that we have a lesson learned from this week, but, uh, but I could be wrong. But I mean, there have been other inaugurations that have gone off the rails, okay? Okay. Um, um, so, uh, Nia, I know you're a big fan of the next example. Um, uh, 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 William Henry Harrison's inauguration in 1841. Oh my gosh. I hate to call a president a chucklehead, <laughs> but I'm going to call him a chucklehead. <laughs> this is the infamous inauguration speech uh, where um, newly sworn in President Harrison gave a two hour speech in cold, wet conditions 
and he did it without a hat or a coat. Because he wanted to look tough. Yes. Like he was all, ooh, I want to look tough. And people were like, okay, but you're going to look like a fool when you come down with. Yes. And he did. And he promptly did. He promptly came down with what, like pneumonia or. Pneumonia and he died within a month of taking oaths. Yeah. Chucklehead. And I mean, I don't wish that on anybody, but by the same token, if you if you decide that what you're going to do is leap naked into a into a tank shark a shark tank and flail around and maybe give yourself a cut you can't be super surprised when the sharks eat you like yeah i mean you know it, it's it, it's you know yeah. maybe maybe you weren't prepared to be president yes okay just gonna um, say um, and then, and, 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 and there's a couple other ones I wanted to briefly mention. Um, uh, in 1857, various uh, attendees of, of uh, Buchanan's inauguration uh, also attended festivities afterwards at the National Hotel in D.C., and they became sick, okay? And they contracted what many uh, historians now believe is very similar to Legionnaire's disease, uh, of which me and I can remember, because there was an outbreak about a century later in Philadelphia uh, in the late 1900s. Okay, Legionnaire's disease, um, and they believe that many of these attendees contracted dysentery uh, because the hotels and the city of Washington D.C. Uh, poor sewer system. Okay. Yeah. Like okay. over 400 people got sick, including Buchanan, and a number of people died, including some members of Congress. <laughs> okay. So, um, and then probably so the most, think COVID people. Yes. I mean, a, probably, you know, yeah, and probably the most sobering. Um, is um, how uh, Lincoln uh, attended his first inauguration in, in 1861. Yeah, wasn't he like under a cloak in the back of a, you know, in the trunk of a car, except there weren't any, but you know what I mean? Like he had to be. Yes, Lincoln. Wasn't left, there some sneaking involved? Yes, Lincoln left uh, Illinois uh, to travel to D.C. and uh, en route uh, was informed uh, that there was a plot uh, to assassinate him. Um, so when he got to Baltimore, he uh, changed trains and then in a secret overnight train entered Washington, D.C. from Baltimore for his inauguration, okay? You know it's bad if you have to sneak in for your inauguration. But by the way, postscript. At Lincoln's next inauguration, historians have concluded that his vice presidential choice, Andrew Johnson, aforementioned Andrew Johnson, actually showed up to, to the inauguration drunk. <laughs> awesome. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a be there in just a minute. I just need another drink. Wow. I don't, I don't, um, you know, I, I think it's funny. We we think of inauguration problems as modern, but wow. No, I mean, and for many of us, they are uh, fraught. Inaugurations are fraught. Fraught, and again, in part, it's symbolic politics. So, if any of you have actually had to go ahead and schedule any kind of big celebration in your lifetime, you know that there are all kinds of details. Okay, that either escape your mind. Okay, you know, Nia gave the, the famous West Wing episode where they were trying to figure out who was going to sit with whom at a prayer breakfast, right? And then they, well, completely, they completely forgot to include the president. Right. But, you know, and, and think of, in most people's life, the, the event like this is a wedding. Wedding. Oh, yes. And the stress level that is involved for most people in trying to please all of the parties involved, all of the in-laws, all of the outlaws, all of the everybody. So the, the couple often makes themselves bonkers 
Sure. Trying to trying to bring all the details in line to please everyone because you simply cannot you cannot please everyone i know that this year i know that what i've heard from the plans is that it will be very small that they have cut the number of tickets of people who are sitting on the dais to only the members of congress and their significant other or guest and like I don't think there are going to be balls like it's it's all going to be because of COVID part of that is distancing and it's not really fun to dance a lot when in, in a mask and that sort of thing. And I feel certain that President elect Biden does not want to be the does not want to be known as the super spreader inauguration yeah. event right yeah. like yeah. So there's that, but there's also just there's all you're right there's all these other masters that you have to that you have to please you have to work with these people in congress so they have to be invited your donors are all going to get i mean you have to do i'm assuming that what they'll do is private virtual events for those people where they get more face time with the president-elect and and uh, dr biden than they would otherwise maybe right. in some ways it might actually be better because they'll be closer in some sense but i mean uh, but yeah a whole different animal yeah, the, the pandemic um, is a huge intervening variable. Um, you're also talking about the fact that the animosity uh, between the incoming president and the outgoing president. The outgoing president, um, um, I believe, as we record this morning, is still not officially recognized that he lost the election. Oh, I think there was a Twitter video early this morning. Okay. Well, I think he acknowledged that the new president will be Joe Biden, but he's not called up Biden and conceded. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, okay. Okay. He's not. Oh, that's never going to happen. Okay. So, but, but again, these are all the kinds of things to where, okay, potentially this inauguration is going to go down in the history books as one of the strangest ones ever, okay, because of things in addition to all the other stuff that could go wrong and has gone wrong in previous presidential inaugurations. Okay. Well, I'm just going to say that Joe Biden will make Joe Biden wear a coat. Oh, yes. Possibly a hat. Yes. That I hey, that the way, they're not going to have a bunch of drunk people in the White House breaking stuff. Is a uh, 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 but uh, I wouldn't put it past President Trump to have a cabinet meeting. <laughs> that, that that might or a golfing outing, right? Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, that that wouldn't shock me. I mean, and, and we know he cannot. He cannot. He can have proxies, but he cannot go on social media. Okay, during the inauguration. Okay. Because uh, uh, the uh, uh, current president has now been banned from social media. <laughs> well, he's back on Twitter, but he's been banned from Facebook and he's been banned from Instagram. Instagram, yes. Uh, it's an interesting, and again, he's giving scholars a lot to look forward to, to talk about presidential communications yes. and how that has changed under President Trump, which it has. Yes. Um, I don't think, I don't think that future presidents will be able to not use Twitter. I think they're going to have to use Twitter. They're going to have to use Facebook or whatever the next equivalent is, because it won't always be those companies. But yeah, I mean, think about, for instance, Nina, that sort of direct communication. That's going to be a thing that people are used to. Yeah. Think about how the skill set of the White House communications team, OK, has been fundamentally altered. Right. Uh, because of uh, uh, the Trump administration. I mean, the, 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 you are correct. Okay, this idea that there will be a written press release, okay, that will be sent out to press organizations and that will suffice. Yeah, that, that's not going to be enough. Yeah, no. Okay, you know, the monthly press conference, okay, where the president or one of their designees will go ahead and meet with the press. Yeah, that isn't going to be good enough, right? I mean, and think about how skeptical now the press is, even more than they have been in the last 40 years. Think about how skeptical the press is going to be with the Biden administration, okay? 
Right. I mean, yeah, you're talking about some fundamentally different relationships between the office of president and various other institutions politically, all because of the Trump administration. Right. Yes. They, they've, they've made some fundamental changes to government and the way people govern. Yes. That, that I don't think are going back. Yes. But there is one fundamental thing that we can agree will happen on January 20th, and that is that Joe Biden will take the oath of office, probably administered by John Roberts. John Roberts, yes. Probably administered very slowly and carefully since the last time that didn't go so well for John Roberts. No, 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 sorry. No, no. The time well, before it, that. The time yeah, before that. Yeah, it was, uh, it was um, Obama. Yeah, uh, Barack Obama's second, if you will, oath swearing. Went a little awry. Yeah, it went a little awry, and they had to have the, the follow-up. <laughs> they had to do it the next day and get it right. But that's fine, because he did fine with Trump. And yes. He's had some practice now, so yeah. he should be yeah. good to go. And it is a big nervous thing. You're standing in front of, even if not, even now, he won't be standing in front of a crowd, but lots and lots of people will be watching because it's going to be simulcast virtually. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's scary for a person who doesn't normally appear before thronging crowds of millions of people. So, yeah, I mean, we've discussed it's it. another podcast episode. Supreme Court justices, even those who like yeah, like being in the public eye. OK, um, most of them don't. Right. And John Roberts certainly isn't all that much of a fan. Okay? So. So we wish Jay Rob the best. Yes, yes. And and we wish the incoming administration the best. And we wish Donald Trump well. We don't yes. want him to be hurt. We don't want him to be sick. We don't want him to be endangered. We want him to live a happy, healthy ex-presidential life. <laughs> Agreed. And it will be interesting to see what kind of ex-president he makes. Again, he will break all the molds that i do not doubt <laughs> all right well thanks augie all right and and again uh a good start to the new year thank yep. you you've been listening to civil discourse brought to you by vcu libraries Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU libraries. Special thanks to the workshop for technical assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu slash discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.